Hello and welcome to the Mindful Coach Podcast. And I'm your host, Brett Hill. I'm a mindful somatic coach and founder of the Mindful Coach Association. I meet a lot of coaches working with the Mindful Coach Association. I'm so inspired by their stories and the courageous work that they're doing that I created this podcast so you can hear them too. If you're aligned with this work, then join us at themindfulcoachassociation.com where you can list your services for absolutely free and receive invitations to community meetings where you can network and meet your colleagues. We hope you'll join us. And now, The Mindful Coach Podcast. So hello and welcome to this edition of The Mindful Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Hill, the founder of The Mindful Coach Association. And this week, I'm really excited to be talking with Carlos Devotovich. He is a specialist in the way the brain works and how it interact, how we interact with the world, or don't, as the case may be, and helping people to <laughs> woof, helping people to learn how to better use our neurology to have better lives and be better leaders as well. He has a specialist in working with leaders and management teams alike on an international scale. He's been living and working between Europe, USA, and Canada for over 20 years. He has become an executive coach, giving workshops and lectures on neuromanagement, applying neuroscience in organizations and businesses. Currently, he resides in Madrid and working with clients from all sorts of cultures around the world and is a professor of neuromanagement and a thought leader with the Institute of Coaching at McLean Hospital, a Harvard Medical School affiliate. He's the co-author of the book Personality DNA, Discover Your True Personality, and the author of The Five Brain Leadership, How Neuroscience Can Help You Master Your Instincts and Build Better Teams. And if you look him up on um, from TEDx, you'll find a talk on this very topic about the five brains. And it's worth listening to because it's really insightful about what's going on with us and why we are the way we are. So welcome to the show, David. It's great to have you here. Thanks a lot, Brett. Really, really, I'm delighted to be here in your show. Really. Thank you. Um, I wanted to ask you about, you know, your work with coaching and how is it that you decided to begin to focus on the way the brain works as a way to help people understand how to you know, be better leaders and be more effective uh, in our lives? It's a great question, Brad. I would say, I would say in a funny way, it's a professional deformation. Because, I mean, I started being MD, medical doctor. And then I, I went to business for many, many years. And in the end, okay, life has many, many, many turns. And I ended working as a coach. And of course, my background always uh, is like a... It's like a quite strong voice asking me many questions. And one of the questions mm-hmm. always many whys, you know, why this, why that, you know, trying to explain things. And knowing how coaching became so, so known and popular, even more and more every day around the world, the question for me mm-hmm. was always, okay, let's see, because, you know, I mean, there is no comparison, but... It's something that also happened to psychology, you know, say many people think that the touchy-feely stuff, but then you see results, mm-hmm. then you see results and you say, okay, wait, 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 mm-hmm. something is going on here and something is going on, not just at the conversation level, something is going on in the brain. And then for me, and then I learned through my own experience that more information I was bringing to my coaching sessions 
about to connect the process of coaching with the brain, people got more attachment, more engagement. They were more engaged with the outcome. They were more respectful of the whole process and was not just a conversation. It was some, something that was changing their brain. So I try to be mm. very dramatic on this with my clients. I, I explain the concept of neuroplasticity. That is a basic concept to understand that Neuroplasticity. Can you explain to our listeners what that is? Of course. When it's, it's, it's a very interesting concept because it was a revolution in medicine. When I studied mm -hmm. medicine many, many, many years ago, I mean, I we didn't talk about that. So before somebody discovered this characteristic, I will explain, the old paradigm was that our brain was developing until we were, let's say, 12 years old. And then was from that moment it was a downhill process. So very, very depressing. <laughs> right. Very depressing indeed, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, you're peaking you're peaking at twelve. <laughs> oh gosh, come on. Can you imagine friends? Come boom, you know, come on. So, <laughs> so so then uh, a researcher it was mainly a woman, medical doctor, and I want to highlight that. She discovered with another guy that that was absolutely wrong. The brain is an adaptive brain until the end of the story, of the story of the person, mm -hmm. I say. The brain has the capacity to change everything if we want to do it. I will explain that later. But the brain has the capacity and is all the time rewriting the story or writing a new story. So the brain is changing all the time. We like it or not. Of course, if we keep repeating the same pattern of behavior, the brain will keep, let's say, uh, writing the same story. But if we decide mm -hmm. to change it, that coaching is one way to help to change it, the brain is absolutely open and absolutely ready to rewrite our conditioning patterns in our brain and start behaving differently. Tell me if it makes sense what I'm saying, please. Yes, yes. What I get curious about is you said when we decide to change our story, then the brain begins to change. And so I get curious about what part of the brain is it that decides to make those changes? Fantastic question. And we are getting to a more, let's say, uh, enchanted territory. Do you, do you know this guy, the guy who says, this is the way I am? Do you know this guy? <laughs> this is the way I am. Yes, those um, people, those people, those people that all the time, no, no, I, I'm not going to change. This is the way I am. Oh, right. I am, I am the way I am. I am I've always way. been the way I don't change. Exactly. Right, right, I right. don't, this is the way I am. And, of course, this is a very common, let's say, excuse to avoid making sure. changes. When I coach, uh, to my, the, the people I coach, and the, the sit situation like this comes up, I always say, okay, I tell you what is the answer to these people. When you work with somebody in your team or a colleague, whatever, that the attitude is, this is the way I am, the answer is, this is the way you are because you want. No, because you can't change. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. a choice. Mm -hmm. 
I like to present the concept of change based on the main tools that the brain has. One tool is the brain itself, and this capacity to change all the time, called technically neuroplasticity. But the other mm -hmm. component of making changes is the mind. I want to separate mind from brain. Because oh, okay. there are many different theories about it. Still today, we don't know exactly what the mind is, to be honest. But the mind is the one who can take the control and decide, I'm going to change, yes or no. This is what we normally call attitude. An attitude, an attitude is everything in, our in this life. Everything. If you remember Viktor Frankl's uh, quote, Viktor mm -hmm. Frankl, the psychiatrist from Vienna, all the story, very, I mean, known guy <laughs> from the last century, and that he went through the toughest experience for a civilian in a concentration camp for three years, and he survived. He learned something there that changed his life and many others' lives, because he wrote many books about it, And he has a quote that for me is the most powerful quote regarding attitude. He says, he used to say, everything can be taken from us, everything, except one thing. My right to decide how to respond to that external mm -hmm. situation. Whatever happens to us, we still can make the decisions and decide how to react. One way is to play victim, yeah, that is completely unproductive. The other way is to try to make a change. I'm not saying that change is easy. I'm not saying that I, I'm not saying that the brain will change in a, in a day, but this is yeah. it's a matter of will and attitude. Again, I will never get tired to work to use the word attitude because is you want or you don't want, and you know another. A quote saying in English that when there is a will, there is a way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I play a lot in my uh, coaching practice with these concepts. Just in one way, not to give any space or opportunity to my clients to escape from themselves. <laughs> 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 right, to escape from the show. So in a certain way, you're talking about it takes a certain amount of effort to effect a change. And it's necessary to mm, do something different if you want a different result is another way to say it. Exactly. It, right? you, you, you are, I, I'm sure you know exactly the quote of, of Einstein. They say that from Einstein, whatever, that's a matter. You know, I mean, the, the, the craziest thing in the, or the most insane Things to expect different results when we keep doing the same thing. So, and, and this is quite practical, I tell you. And again, I'm not saying that it's just doing like this and you change. That's not the point. Everything needs work, needs uh, consistency, needs time, needs determination. But that's what we try to do or to infuse in our clients, in our coaching clients. And your concept, Brett, about mindfulness or mindful coach, for me is essential in the coaching practice. Mm. And this is a concept I, I bring up many times in my practice because at the moment I hear 
I observe that my client, again, is running away or, or ruminating all the time about the past or speculating in a negative way about the future, I all the time mm -hmm. I say, okay, hey, let's be back and tell me that situation today. If you are going to go through that situation today, what are you going to do, what you can do? Stop projecting something that is not happening today. That is not helpful to make a change. Right, exactly so. And I, I think this is one of the key values of um, when we help people become more mindful, and I'm talking about myself as well, of course, looking inward to see what is the stream of thoughts and how much of it is spent thinking about what should have happened, what would have happened, what I wish would have happened, and worrying about outcomes, all of which are not happening right now. Exactly. I think that's the kind of thing you're talking about. Absolutely. Is that right? Absolutely. And I, I don't know why today I remember quotes. <laughs> Bring it here. But <laughs> Today's a quote day. It's a quote day. <laughs> but the other one that I'm sure you know is, uh, I think it's, it's so old, the, the one I'm going to share with you, I think it's from, I don't know, 13th or 14th century. I don't remember the guy who said it, but he said, I spent all my life suffering for tons of situations that never, never happened to me. Exactly so. Exactly so. I, I can't tell you how powerful it's been in my life to just recognize that my thought streams, when I start to feel anxious about things, if I look at what I'm, what's going on, often I'm thinking about a negative outcome of a situation, that I'm at, and, I'm and I'm basically borrowing from this drama that I've invented and feeling it right now. And that doesn't feel good. And, and when I catch myself doing that, I go, oh, there I go again, you know, spinning stories about a, a, a negative outcome. And re really, I'd rather just notice how beautiful this tree is that's right in front of me. You know, <laughs> since I can make a choice, why not make that choice, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And one thing, one nuance I want to share. This is not about being positive. It's not about denial. So yeah. being positive is just an attempt to always try to look for a solution instead that focusing on the problem and this is again is an attitude i i try to be quite careful not to not to fall in the denial space so yes i, I, I hear what you're saying i mean and it's not about that everything is fantastic because life many times doesn't brings or doesn't put us in the nice places even though, yeah, even, really though appreciate that. even though we need to keep in mind that still we can decide how to react. Exactly. So I love this. Uh, I love that you're bringing this up because a lot of people do feel like that an orientation towards avoiding unnecessary suffering is somehow bearing the reality of uh, you know negative things that happen in our lives and the experience of that and it's it's not it's not about avoidance sometimes i use the uh, um, a metaphor or story like if you have a, a flat tire on the highway and 
you can get out of your car and you go, oh my God, the flat tires is the worst. I, why does this always happen to me? And I'm going to be late. And, and it's just, you know, it's just a terrible situation. And you can, ha you might be right to be unhappy, but that doesn't get your tire fixed. Exactly. And so by, by focusing what you said, let's focus on the solution, which is let's get the tire fixed and save the drama for some other time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, I want to be very respectful of different personalities. And this, Absolutely, is, not, yes, I, this is not about the, every negative situation in life. Oh, wow, I'm so, thank, I'm so grateful that this happened to me. No, no, no. No, yeah, no exactly, no. right. No, I, no. But if I need to go to a tough situation in life, I will go. And if I, I will not enjoy it, okay, but I will go. I will, I will yeah, not be part and of it. Yeah, I feel like that you... Yes, and I feel like that, you know, since we're talking about this kind of edge and mindfulness work, it's like uh, there's, a, there's a connection between mindfulness and activism. And I feel like that people who are really more present and mindful have the capacity to be more effective in their activism than coming from a reactionary place. Absolutely. Now, you don't want to take the heat out of it necessarily, but you... But you, uh, I just feel like that, that you moving into action from a place of being is, you know, in Eckhart Tolle's place, that's words that would be like, um, you know, effective action or right use of power in a certain way. Absolutely. Uh, um, I wanted to ask you because I was listening to your TEDx talk and you mentioned something around um, that I thought was really powerful and you talked about different kinds of... Uh, different ways our brain works and the brain isn't necessarily just a you know uh, our, our mind if you will isn't just our brain right and one of the phrases you used was when you know something by heart what does that mean and and uh, can you tell us a little bit about your thoughts on um heart and feeling and emotion as a part of our as a part of the, you know, our brain, our neuro neurological instrumentation. Absolutely, of course, Brett. This is what this was mind blowing for me when I found out about this because also it's new information in medicine. One guy in the nineties, around the nineties, he found out that we have brain cells equivalents in our heart. So we, it's called neurons, right? We have neurons in our heart. There are neurons in the heart. There are neurons in the heart. There are like 50,000 wow. neurons identified in the heart. And that was absolutely unexpected. And then I will share a couple of anecdotal things still, but that finding started changing the way we thought about the heart. Traditionally, the heart is always a pump. You know, pump is pumping blood all the time. Mm -hmm. But there are other very interesting components. For instance, you, you just mentioned it. The English saying, I know it by heart. If you analyze a little bit what that exactly means, I know it by heart, that the heart is a reservoir of memory. Well, maybe yes. And to add more say ingredients to this salad in Spanish the word remember recordar in Spanish means to go th through the heart 
and bring information. Hmm. So it wow. seems like the heart, not only, again, is a palm, it's something else. Another, another fact, people that go through any heart intervention or disease or some traumatic event that affects the heart physically, could be a surgery, you know, could be a heart attack. The incidence of psychological or emotional issues is much higher than for any other organ in the body. Hmm. Again, I, I don't want to, to go to the romantic, I mean, application of our heart. But no, definitely, no, but definitely, this is important. Definitely, the heart is deeply connected with our emotions. There is mm. a long way still to find out exactly what that represents or what that means. But and if you want, I can share with you about the those people that receive a new heart. That was oh sure yes of course that'd be fabulous. <laughs> that was really mind blowing. Around 20% to 25% of people receiving a new heart, they change personality completely after the surgery. That was hmm. so weird, so odd, that through years, a group of researchers in United States, they were able to identify the donors, because it's not easy to know the donors. They were able to connect the characteristic of personality of the donor with a new characteristic of the receiver of that heart. So, well, yeah. so actually receiving the new heart actually transplants characteristics, emotional characteristics Correct. of the donor into Correct. the receiver? Absolutely. And in some people, we still don't know why, those are so strong that we'll go to the big brain to the upper brain, let's say, and we'll tell now I'm in command and I will decide what to do. Mm -hmm. So what I'm trying to say, and I mean the metaphor is, the heart is deeply connected with our emotions. So all those saying through, I mean, let's call it folklorical saying about hearts, emotion, I feel it in my heart, is mm -hmm. what my heart is telling me. It's not just mm -hmm. it's not just an anecdotal thing. My, yeah, like my heart is in it, you know, exactly. get to the heart of the matter. There's it's all, amazing. Yeah, mm -hmm. It's amazing the amount of sentences and saying that we use involving our heart connected with emotions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. And so this speaks to me to something, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of is this notion of this mind-body integration. And and I, I, I love it that you're kind of really right at the fact of, of like, you know, from a traditional point of view um, in medicine, the heart is just an organ that just, you know, pumps blood. Mm -hmm. And what you're saying is that, no, it there's a lot more going on here than just the mechanics of uh, the organ that there's you know integrate there's a whole mind body integration piece that we really don't know that much about that looks pretty mysterious but yet is very powerful for Absolutely. us. Correct, hundred percent correct. And so, what? Where else does this show up? So we've got the heart. Where else does this show up in our bodies? And we have 
I, I like to use the framework of five brains because when I start find, studying and finding out what we have in our body, that was the image that ca came to me. The, one of the most, uh, I would say, powerful and popular lady, lately is our gut brain. So in our guts, we have a full and complete nerve system. That is, is absolutely connected also with our emotions. So, Do they have neurons? Is there yes. neurons in the... uh, Yes, they have 100 million neurons. So oh, in the gut? In the gut. It's a complete, gut, it's a complete oh nervous system. More wow. neurons than in our all spinal cord. And the gut mm. is, is, com is permanently in connection with the upper brain. Today, you will find tons of books talking about this axis, the, the brain-gut connection axis. They are fantastic books mm -hmm. about it. And definitely, the gut is, I would say, is in charge of many more things oh, wow. that also we thought. And again, no, these this butterflies in our stomach, this... Uh, oh, right, butterflies they, in the stomach. And there's they, a thing called, a, like, what is there, gut instinct? Or the I, gut instinct. Um, I, I love to talk about that yeah. concept because the word instinct, you know, in, 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 intuition, gut instinct and intuition, let's say, intuition has a bad marketing so it's a word that generates <laughs> a lot of negativity you know like a touchy feely stuff and it's absolutely wrong when i discuss with my clients very rational personality let's put it that way i explain <laughs> intuition and gut feeling i explain it in a very scientific way and i tell them mm. intuition is the best version of Google. But works exactly in the same way. It's an algorithm. Our gut is also a reservoir of information. Everything mm. that happens to us is storage in our body, but in our gut mainly. More experience we have, our intuition will work better because it's connecting those dots in a way that we cannot do it in a rational way. Mm -hmm. The rational way, that don't get me wrong, the rush, our rational brain took us to fantastic places, but it still is limited and is slow. <laughs> Intuition is a fastest so, process. So I have a question, and it's like, how then do you, and I love intuition, so people who know me know I'm all about intuition, um, but I wanted to ask you a question then, like you're dealing with, you know, the rational folk, right, executive coaching yeah. and, and leadership development, and you're talking about intuition, how do you, and you're, you're literally saying, you know, this is an irrational process, exactly. this is, how do you get people then to Lean into learning how to be more irrational. <laughs> Does that make sense? Absolutely, Brett. I will tell you two stories. One, at the beginning, when I started uh, sharing all this information, I was kind of 
afraid, the people will say, don't tell me about touchy-feely stuff. And I don't like that. Yeah. And Brett, I need to confess, never, never an executive told me that. When wow, I talk, that's really great never. to hear. Because that is something I hear a lot from coaches. It's like, oh, I can't even mention this. And, no. and you're saying, yes, you no. can. Of course you can, because I tell you more. Many of these high executives came to me to say, Carlos, I know what you're talking about. My team did all the rational analysis about X, Y, Z situation, and they said they told me we need to go right. My gut is telling me we need to go left, and I know I'm right, but I don't know how to explain mm. it to them. And then I tell them, don't worry, don't try to explain it, because the alphabet is not in our gut. Just wait a couple of days. The information will reach your upper brain, and you will be able to explain it. But I, I tell you, very much. Yeah. and I will add one more component. I work, doesn't matter, I work with one assessment about leadership because my area is leadership in coaching, mainly. Not only, but mainly. There was a fantastic study identifying the main competencies or personality traits that determines a successful leader. And they were analyzing thousands of thousands and, 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 and making tests to thousands of thousands of leaders. At the, top, at the top of the pyramid of leadership, intuition ran first. Wow. So when we talk about an effective and successful leader, it's not only about rationality. Without the intuitive component, will never has a chance to be a successful leader. And I'm very determined mm -hmm. and firm on this. And mm -hmm. why? Just for a very practical thing, Brett. One thing that happened when people move up, up in the, ladder, in the ladder of leadership, there are two components. Number one, you will never have all the whole information to analyze properly. What is going on? Second, you will never have time to make a decision mm -hmm. that you need to make. So, without all the information and without time, you only can call intuition to help you. And I told you before, intuition is based on experiences, not on, any, on nothing. So, we cannot see the process, but the, there is a process behind the scene that happens in our guts, and in certain part of our upper brain. Hmm. And so how would you suggest that people learn more about what that, uh, how to respect that more, how to give that more expression in our lives? That's a good point. When I coach leaders that are not so fan of intuition, because I tell you why, because they feel safer when they can do the rational analysis and see the process. Yes, of course, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is what we do. I start asking, okay, listen, from now on, you will keep doing all the analysis you want. But you cannot deny from me, to me, that at the moment that you are facing a challenge or whatever, there is some information that comes to you that you don't know from where. That is intuition. Mm. 
you normally you just delete that information and they start doing the right we just ignore it right? ignore it totally yes. ignore it it's a funny way delete it ignore it and they start doing the analytical thinking it's fine then i make a deal with them i say from now on at the moment you're facing a challenge and you you feel some kind of solution write it down and then go to mm. your analytical thinking we will collect that information and through time you will see that is a source of information very very helpful to find the right solution to whatever problem you are facing don't get me wrong brett i'm not saying that intuition is always right but at the same time we already know that analytical thinking is not always right. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, so it's just a resource for exactly, you. It's just a resource. Exactly. That you, yeah. And I, I say, this is just another source of information. Take it like that. Through a time, three, six months, we are working with people and they start seeing, see, yeah, they start just seeing in a very practical way. Wow, this information that came to me right away when I was dealing with this problem was not so far away from reality at the end. I after did all the analytical analysis of the thinking, but in the end, they were connected. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. is one way that I use to support my clients to start accepting this source of information that is so powerful. Make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that very much because then it's sort of like, oh, I can wait for my analytical brain to catch up to what I already knew intuitively. Exactly. And when you tie that together, when you tie that together enough, you sort of prove through actual practice that there's something going on here that that matters. You know, it's not just an idea. This is actually something that you can use in your life and in your world. Absolutely. And in your business. Absolutely. Mainly. I remember many, many years ago, Brett, I I had a friend, I was a client at the beginning, a friend, was a financial guy, the expert in the stock market. I, I, I was very young, so and for me, the stock market was absolutely a, a mystery. And my question was, hey, you are so, you are so, so good, so good, I mean, in, in everything that is connected with finance, that it would be easy for you to, to do right in the stock market. Mm-hmm. I still remember the way he would start laughing at me. He said, if the stock market fluctuation will be a rational process, everybody will be already millionaire. That's true. And he told me, it's an essential emotional process that nobody knows how to handle properly. I talk mm-hmm. about many, and, and that moment for me was a, an enlightenment. I say, wow, because I was, I was projecting fantasy because I was, I'm not in finance myself. And he, said, <laughs> and he said, it's impossible to predict because there are so many emotions influencing those fluctuations that there's no way to analyze them and to understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's useful what I'm sharing, but just to share with you. Well, and so was he. So he was approaching this from maybe an intuitive point of view. Or, I, yeah, uh, 
probably, yeah, probably. Amazing stuff. I just, I love this stuff so much, and it's really uh, fabulous work that you're doing to help bring together the various ways that our, our, the brain, if you will, what we normally call a brain, is actually much more complex. The mind is a much more complex thing than just the brain, right? And, and the ways that our mind and our heart and our gut instincts and our awareness can all work together to help us be better people and more effective leaders. How, um, how can, and coaches as well. So how can people find you if they want to learn more about what uh, this, you know, really nice point of view and, and, and your, the concepts and your teachings? How can people find that, find that? Excellent. I mean, I'm totally open to talk and discuss who, with whoever would love to talk about this because I love this topic. My, <laughs> we, my website, I mean, carlosdavidovich.com. I mean, there is a way to connect with my email there. And uh, LinkedIn my LinkedIn profile also is another easy way to connect with me. I mean, you can find this in LinkedIn, Carlos Davidovich, MD, you will find it there. I think it's the easiest way to connect. Also, okay, you already mentioned the book and the TEDx talk that I enjoy like crazy. I tell you, it was an amazing experience itself, itself. Mm. But if anyone that would love, they would like to talk and to go deeper on this, I'm totally open to listen and to connect. Thank you so much. It's been so fun talking about this. I could do it all day. And I really appreciate, you know, the, you know, your clarity and your passion and your insight and where you put this together and the difference that you're making in people's lives. So uh, sometimes I, I, I'm arrogant enough to speak on behalf of the world. And so I would say, you know, on behalf of the world, thank you for the work that you're doing. Wow. My <laughs> pleasure, Brett. Thanks a lot. I take it. I take it really and, seriously. <laughs> Thank you so much. And we'll put all these note, put all these into the show notes uh, so people can find that. If you're interested in connecting with other mindful coaches in the world, uh, check out the Mindful Coach Association where we meet every week and you can check out there and also my own training at uh, themindfulcoachmethod.com. And thank you so much and we'll talk soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Brett. And that's a wrap for this edition of the Mindful Coach Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this presentation. And if you did, follow us and leave us a review. If you're a coach or helping professional that values mindfulness in your work, browse over to mindfulcoachassociation.com and create a free community profile describing your services so the world can find you. And you'll be invited to exclusive community meetings where you can meet your colleague. I'm your host, Brett Hill founder of the Mindful Coach Association, coach and coach trainer teaching the Mindful Coach Method. You can find out more about me at themindfulcoach.com. Until next time, stay present.